the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. I've been taking a brief intermission from our current Oh, That First Means That series so I could bring you a topic I'm passionate about and desire to share with you during these COVID and post-COVID times. I've mentioned that it can be very easy for us to lose focus on just what we should be pursuing as followers of Jesus Christ and why I'm calling this mini four-part interlude, Reassessing Our Pursuits. In session one, we entertained the question, Are Our Pursuits Aligned with Scripture? Here at the outset, I expressed that it's spiritually healthy to periodically take a sober or realistic look at what drives us as Christ followers. In session two, we entertained the question, Are we people with a purpose, a passion, and right prerogatives? If you missed any of these sessions or wish to re-listen to them for your personal or group Bible study or taking notes for future reference, just go to www.faithtalk1360.com. Search the menu for a local program podcast, then scroll to a word from the word. Well, today, friends, we're going to glean some great truths from two Psalms, Psalm 24 and Psalm 15. Psalm 15, by the way, both amplifies Psalm 24 and serves as a built-in commentary that unpacks Psalm 24 for us. So today in session three, we'll entertain the question, are we people with clean hands and a pure heart? Well, it's been rightly said that scripture is its own best interpreter. Psalms 24 and 15 are a good example of this principle. Unfortunately, in our day, I must confess to a caveat here, because, friends, sadly, there's a general biblical illiteracy infecting us in the body of Christ. And please don't be offended by this assessment. The fact is, there are rampant false teachers in our church classrooms, false preachers in our pulpits, and on the airwaves. These testify to the lack of Bereans in our pews, or padded seats in nearly every average church congregation. In Acts 17, Paul commended the Bereans for searching the scriptures to see if what he was teaching was true. They tested him, 
Friends, I'm sorry to have to burst your bubble, but functioning spiritually on a diet of one crumb a day won't protect us from spiritual malnutrition, nor protect us from cultivating red flags that enable us to test and assess all things we see and hear, per 1 Thessalonians 5.21, where examine is in the continuous tense, meaning we should be constantly on guard, examining what we see and hear. Here, the passion of every believer should be to strive to discern truth from error. Now, friends, many of us have a mental picture of the Old Testament that it's a dry and rule-bound book. Yet, I'm here to tell us that within its pages leaps out a collection of cries from the heart. And one tremendous section of these cries is the Psalms. Our English word Psalms comes from the Greek translation of the title in Hebrew, which means praises. And these praise songs resonate like a musical heartbeat that represents the center of the Bible. Not its chronological center, but its emotional center psychological center. This heartbeat, friends, captures the innermost thoughts and prayers of the Old Testament people. Perhaps why the songs are called prayers, per Psalm 72:20. We might refer to them as prayer songs. They were first prayers before they became songs. Now, please don't misunderstand me to mean that this relegates them only to the distant past. Today, I hope to challenge us all to make the Psalms a part of our daily or weekly life. My hope is that you'll discover, as I have, that the Psalms articulate your words. The Psalms convey your thoughts. The Psalms pose your hard questions. The Psalms reflect your struggles. The Psalms mimic your moods. And the Psalms express your joys. And the Psalms praise and magnify your God. At first, I thought, like many of you, that the Old Testament God seemed distant and impersonal. Yet the Psalms jolt us to the reality that the presence of God is not just in dusty or crusty declarations. Rather, friends, God is revealed to us as an active, mighty, and loving Lord, one who genuinely makes a difference in our lives. The Psalms amazingly span the gamut of every emotion and mood we can imagine, from the height of ecstasy to the depth of despair, and reflect the never-changing reality of a mighty and loving God who cares for his people. Now, some of us might have the faulty notion that the Psalms are primarily poetic words composed in song form, and have no real relevance to our lives today as New Testament Christians. Christians, but this poetry alerts us to some unsettling truths. First, those who love God are not necessarily exempt from feeling or being abandoned, misused, even betrayed. And second, closeness to God is not always a guarantee of safety, but sometimes it is only a guarantee of God's closeness. And friends, while praise does saturate these prayers, they arise not from the absence of troubles, but from the deepest conviction that one who trusts in a great God will ultimately be an overcomer. And while these poems of praise and worship are some of the most powerful and beautiful ever written, they offer no magical formula to make our troubles go away. 
As they've led me to see them, the Psalms as a body of literature portray the deepest level of intimacy possible between us and God in the hope in the context of this intimate relationship speaks through his people and through his people, friends, he reveals to us his deepest wishes and what it actually means to live a holy life, a life that pleases him. Now, these psalm prayers have been compiled into five books, which our English Bibles section off for us. Book one is where these two psalms are located. Our primary focus today will be the midsection of Psalm 24 verses 3 through 6, which I'll read from a modern language translation I like. Who can possibly ascend the mountain of the eternal? This is Yahweh, the loving covenant God of Israel. Who can stand before him in sacred spaces? Only those whose hands have been washed and hearts made pure, or only those with clean hands and a pure heart. Men and women who are not given to lies or deception, the eternal will stand close to them with blessing and mercy at hand, and the God who redeems will right what has been wrong. These are the people who chase after him. Like Jacob, they look for the face of God. Now, this entire psalm of ten verses naturally divides into three sections. Verses 1 and 2, the superiority of God. In other words, God is creator. Verses 3 through 6, the sanctity of God. In other words, God is holy. This is the portion we're delving into today. Verses 7 through 10, the sovereignty of God. In other words, God is king. Here's a brief summary of the first section. The material world is God's by right of creation. He created everything. He owns everything. Therefore, he's superior. We humans were created in his image and as such are responsible and accountable to him. We possess and own only what God entrusts to us. We only have a secondary title of ownership, a delegated authority to use and enjoy responsibly what God has given us. As stewards or caretakers of his creation, we're called to care for it, assure justice, care for our families, and help meet others' needs. Interestingly, friends, when the Israelites gathered for worship, a common and recurring ingredient was acknowledging in songs and prayers God's ownership of all they had and were. And this understanding was not lost by the New Testament church. In fact, Acts records a prayer by Peter and John that underscores their conviction of God being creator and owner of everything. Read Acts 4, 23 and 24, and note verse 24 virtually quotes Psalm 146.6. Here they preface their prayer, acknowledging the ownership of God over his created universe. Personally, friends, I think we've lost this sense today, and we should we work at recovering this aspect of worship. It would certainly counteract the rampant materialism, greed, and selfishness, or self-centeredness that sadly plagues parts of the body of Christ. I'll never forget an experience I had when we were living in New Jersey. I was out driving, listening to a Christian radio station, when suddenly I was surprised by a commercial in the guise of a call to virtuous women. It turned out to be a Christian beauty pageant. They didn't use those words, but it became obvious what they were getting at. It was a beauty pageant that didn't focus on outward beauty. So I listened with somewhat of a skeptical ear, thinking, okay, 
I can handle this so far, calling virtuous women and all. The stipulations were that you had to be over 21, be a mother, and be involved in Christian service of some kind. Again, I thought, okay, this is not too bad. But then they announced the prizes, a fur coat, a gold ring, and a cruise. I was so upset. I thought to myself, is this what our Christian goals and pursuits have been reduced to? Friends, we're so easily sucked into and caught up in this world's pursuits rather than the other world's pursuits, aren't we? A quick Bible lesson on what we should be focusing our attention on pursuing is found in Colossians 3, 1 through 3. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Now, the midsection of Psalm 24, verses 3 through 6, our focus for today, calls attention to the holiness of God. It reminds us of our true goal, where our minds, our focus, and our pursuits should really be. Notice David's two opening questions. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Yahweh. Who may stand in his holy place? This is likely the great temple, which in its splendor was perched on a raised hill. Then David answers these two questions forthrightly. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by what is false or swears to a false god. Now, Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, friends, become our bridge to Psalm 15, which asks the same questions, but more fully expands on the answer. In Psalm 15, verses 2 through 5, we read, The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises the ways of the vile, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent, whoever lives like this will never be shaken. Whoa! Friends, throughout this four-part mini-series, we're challenging ourselves to re-examine our pursuits. In our last session, we entertained the question, are we people who are pursuing a purpose? In today's session, we're asking ourselves, are we people who are pursuing purity? Psalm 24 answers these questions. Who may ascend to God's mountain and who may stand in his holy place with the one who has clean hands and a pure heart? Now, this expression, friends, clean hands and a pure heart, crops up more than once in Scripture. It appears to be a trademark of David. Besides Psalm 24, it appears in slightly modified form in Psalms 18 and 73. I suspect David uses this phrase to capsulize in a nutshell the entire life of a God follower. Outside David's writings, there's Job, who refers to the clean hands of a righteous person in Job 17.9. The Apostle Paul's letter to Timothy mentions lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. In 1 Timothy 2.8, in other words, outwardly demonstrating the inner disposition of the Spirit or our attitudes, if you will. The Apostle James in James 4.8 admonishes believers with, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
This expression, as it is used in both Old and New Testaments, I believe, represents the dual dimension of our life as believers. Clean hands sometimes refers to our physical hands, but it's also a metaphor to symbolize our overall outward life manifested by our deeds. Pure heart, then, I believe, refers to our overall inward life. In other words, the secret chamber of our being that only God inspects and examines. And there's a direct proportional relationship between the clean hands and the pure heart. Friends, the quality and purity of my inward life, my heart, if you will, is reflected in or expressed by my outward behavior towards others. So, in a sense, we could say that the pure heart stands for what a person is, and the clean hands stand for what a person does. Jesus captured this idea beautifully during his encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. At one point, their dialogue culminated in Jesus' now famous words, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. My take on this, friends, is that Jesus alludes to this dual dimension of the believer's life. Spirit refers to the inner dimension and truth to the outer dimension. I propose that we can only know someone is living in truth by how they act it out. And I think it's fitting at this juncture to summarize the third division of Psalm 24, verses 7 through 10. In these four verses, the sovereignty of God is declared. In other words, his being king or sovereign ruler as the king of glory. I'd like to propose that this final segment functions like an invitation. The gates and doors symbolize opening up and letting the king in, letting him in as sovereign ruler and lord. After all, verse 9 beckons us. Lift up your hands, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. This reminded me of an invitation Jesus made to the Laodicean church in Revelation 3.20. And it wasn't an evangelistic gesture, friends. It was an appeal to a lukewarm and contented congregation. They didn't have their pursuits in order at all. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Well, friends, let's recap the questions asked in Psalm 24. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The answer comes right back in verse 4. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. This verse reminded me of an old worship chorus called Holy Ground, where the opening words say, We are standing on holy ground, probably drawing our attention back to Exodus 3 and God revealing himself to Moses. Perhaps, friends, a few sobering questions we ought to be asking ourselves might be, are we lifting up holy hands during our worship times, or are we lifting up tainted hands? Do we shudder at the prospect that the condition of our hands and hearts before God may not be pleasing to him? Were those merely words on a screen that day? The prophet Isaiah, when he was ushered into the presence of a holy God, immediately became aware of his uncleanness. Isaiah 6, he then readily confessed, Woe to me! I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty." Peter, when he was first called as a disciple, witnessing the power of Jesus filling his nets with fish, 
fell down at Jesus' feet and confessed in Luke 5, 8, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. The Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1, after seeing the glorified and glorious Jesus, fell on his face like a dead man. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you if you were in the presence of incarnate holiness? Friends, it would sure seem to me that we should be coming into our worship centers in our churches with this posture more often. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any hurtful or wicked or offensive way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Psalm 139. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.30 admonishes us with, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Isn't it interesting that this verse is sandwiched in between two statements that both speak of our tongues or our language being unwholesome? Friends, shouldn't we desire to know if our hands and our hearts are breaking the heart of God? By either our inner disposition or our outer deeds, shouldn't the notion of standing in his presence on holy ground act like a searchlight, probing the very depths of our hearts and lives? Well, friends, the rubber really meets the road when we look at how Psalm 15 amplifies the answer to the two questions and thereby helps define and expand the phrase, clean hands and a pure heart. I encourage you to read both Psalm 24 and Psalm 15 in one sitting. They're both short and remind us that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, as someone once said. Psalm 15 duplicates the two questions this way. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? When we see Psalm 15's answer in verses 2 through 5, it would be so easy for us to view these verses as spelling out a mandated responsibility. But shame on us if we see them this way, because verses 2 through 5 are outlining for us a voluntary access to God's presence. You see, friends, as God followers, we have an open invitation from God to visit with him as often as we wish in our hearts or spirits and even in the community of believers. Verse 1's who may dwell in your sacred tent, Lord, speaks of dwelling in the sense of being at home with. In other words, as Paul reiterated in Galatians 6.10, we are in the household of God because we are the household of God. The paradox here is that we are both the family of God and guests of God, and we've been given a personal invitation into his presence. A rough paraphrase of the Hebrew of these opening questions may be, who may be be your guest, Lord. And the answer comes back in Psalm 15 with these opening phrases, he whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, and who speaks truth from his heart. Personally, I like to refer to these three opening phrases as the walk, the work, and the witness of the godly person. First, he or the one whose walk is blameless, this is our walk in the Lord, our habits of life, our lifestyle. We're not expected to be flawless, but blameless. In other words, truthful, with integrity in our inner and outer being. Second, who does or practices what is righteous or right in God's eyes. The does here is a reference to our works. In other words, our outer behaviors and deeds. 
and third, who speaks truth from the heart. In other words, our inner disposition and attitudes we hold that manifest themselves in honest and truthful speech or conversation. This becomes our witness in and to the world. Friends, the syndrome in the church today, that's S-I-N-drome, is that we so easily do or live out the opposite of Psalm 15, 2 through 5, four short but intensely powerful and instructive verses. The answers supplied for us in these two Psalms, Psalm 24 and 15, are just as valid today as they were when they were first asked by David. Friends, as Christ followers, is one of our pursuits, the pursuit of purity? In other words, having both clean hands and a pure heart? My sincere hope is that today's session will inspire you to pursue purity with a renewed passion and zeal. Make the Psalms a part of your scripture reading. Read one a day and watch how it impacts the way you relate to God and to others, especially the people around you. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of today's program, which will close with an email where you may write me and share your feedback. One listener wrote in regarding session 30 in the recent series, Oh, That Verse Means That, where I unpacked 1 Peter 2, 1-12. Here's their feedback. Another great message. Love all of the upwards. If we remember to grow up and live up and bear up, then we never have to give up because God will make up the difference in what is lacking in our lives by protecting and guiding us always. Well, thanks for sharing your thoughts. And remember, friends, podcasts of today's teaching may be accessed at faithtalk1360.com. That's faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. Then scroll to A Word from the Word. And friends, A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program. If it's blessing you, please consider financially helping to keep this program on the air. Just email me for the details. A special thanks goes out to those of you who are faithfully helping to support A Word from the Word each week. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the Word. Friends, If you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at awordfromtheword at minister.com. That's awordfromtheword at minister.com. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. 
Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.